0: Welcome to another episode of Monday, Monday Afternoon. afternoon. Theologian. There's that lady we love to hear. I love waiting for her to do that because there's this little exhilaration. The shiver goes up my spine when I know we're gonna hear.
1: Recording in progress. Yeah, that that's kind of creepy, actually. <laughs>
0: Well, only because it means that I get to spend another hour with you.
1: I don't think that's quite as creepy. At least I hope it's not. (laughs) It it could
0: sound a little creepy, too. Let me rephrase that. I'm just glad to be able to chat with you again, buddy.
1: Yeah, and and here we are. And it's amazing
0: to me how deep we can get into character qualities once we start looking at them. Because when you first think about the fruit of the spirit, you go, oh, that's
1: not a big list. Yeah, and then we find some other lists that seem to be... Perhaps not as well represented specifically within the the text of the New Testament, Mm -hmm. but there's like another 50 of them that we could look Mm -hmm. into if we wanted to. We'll probably not go that deep, but Mm -hmm. I know we'll find some more after we get done with today's topic, gentleness and next week's Mm self-control.
0: There's a lot of good character qualities. I was kind of shocked and frankly, it's good that I've looked them over because there's something about getting those things in your brain that provides a vocabulary so you can speak more specifically about things going on in your life and to be more introspective about those things. So I think it's helpful for us to be going over those character qualities. And it's always good that you are practicing these things so that we can have them at the ready. Like, uh, I think it was last week that I said, what's the sound of one hand clapping? We have to keep practicing uh-huh, that. Did. Well, do you know what the sound of one hand juggling is?
1: Well, I think it would be kind of whoosh, 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 whoosh.
0: Let me show you what the sound of one hand juggling looks like. It looks like
1: okay.
0: this. Huh?
1: That's, that's pretty amazing.
0: Thank you. Yes. And we have to keep practicing those things because if you're not really practicing them, then at, at a moment's notice when somebody says, hey, can you juggle one-handedly? You have to be practiced up. Otherwise, it's real easy to just really drop the apple.
1: That's right. And dropped apples are bruised and not good for anything. And then when you try to juggle them again, they're all squishy and they don't have the same feel. And it's uh,
0: it's, it's bad
1: and satisfying for you and the audience.
0: It is. Plus, they attract those little fruit flies that get into everything. It's a mess. You really should be practicing your juggling, folks. <laughs>
1: That's right. Because because if you have fruit flying, then uh-huh. you don't get fruit flies.
0: That's a good slogan. I'm going to make a bumper sticker and stick it on your car.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, good plan. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: <laughs> so have you been thinking about something that you have needed to keep practicing so that you have it handy when you need it?
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting that this has come up just today, because about two days ago I was listening to a speaker that I admire, and he was talking about working on some goals and some achievements that you might want, and he says, if you don't understand the concept that you have not because you ask not, Mm -hmm. then you are not getting everything that God has for you because Mm -hmm. he wants more in your life, and you should be asking him for it so that you're in tune with what his will is, and you can work back and forth between your wants and his will, and eventually you're going to come up with a a good, solid position to be in. Mm -hmm. And as I was thinking through that, and he said, you know, make a list of some of these things that, that you want to see happen in your life. And I became convicted that I have not been keeping up with Memorizing scripture, uh, and I found that even the ones I've known for a hundred years, I'm not quite fine tuned anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you got the gist of it, but not exactly what the text says. And so, uh, one of the first things that I put on my list is to spend time memorizing those scriptures that are mm-hmm. important so that I have them, so that as we talked about before, that we saw in First Peter. Uh, Being ready with the word when Mm -hmm. somebody asks about Mm -hmm. the hope that is within us, then we can come back with a scriptural answer and say, this is why I live the way I do. This is Mm -hmm. why, you know, I'm optimistic and I have hope for the future and all of those good things. So I just started dropping some scriptures into a list and I'll be working on those a little bit every day. And the first goal is to have a hundred and the big goal is to have 2,500.
0: So, wow. Good stuff. You're convicting me, my brother, (laughs) (laughs) because you can work at them for a season and you've got them and you can recite them. It's like a play when you're back in high school and you've recited them enough that you could probably dust them off and bring them back fairly quickly. But over the years they slide away and you just can't remember all those details. So you got to keep re- minding yourself by practice, 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 practice. And I, I think you're uh, convicting me with what you're doing, that I should probably start dusting some of those off for myself as well.
1: And and what I found in my own case is I know a lot of them, but I don't necessarily have the reference right at the tip of my tongue. Yeah. You know, I don't know that these words are in Ephesians 4. I'm, I'm not necessarily sure which gospel contains this particular passage so mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's something that i'm going to be working on and practicing so that i don't have to dust them off so that i have them tip mm-hmm. of my tongue whenever i should happen to need them you know we talked last week about the the pastor friend of mine who always had the encouraging word and more oh. often than not came in scripture
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, there's no reason why all of us can't be that person
0: that's true very good
1: so today we're talking about gentleness, one of those fruits of the spirit that we need to be practicing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can imagine that there is probably a story in your background that kind of helps illustrate the need for gentleness.
0: <laughs> yes, I uh, decided to crank open that book that was written uh, quite a while ago now and look back at the earlier part of my ministry when our kids were quite young And I remember a story that came out of that book, shameless plug coming, ready? Here it comes. Uh Uh, At the heart of every great father, this happened when my son was a little dude. He was just old enough to be able to start riding his bicycle to school, which was only about a half mile away from where we lived at the time. And it was in a small town and it was safe for him to do so. So he was earning the right to be a big boy and do that but I had to go to a meeting in Southfield, which was a 90 minute drive from where we lived at the time. So I was getting myself around for the day and he came in to where I was and confessed that he had lost the key to his bike lock. And I could have been very gentle and I could have treated him with respect and said, well, I'm sorry, buddy, I've got to go to a meeting. So you'll have to either ride the bus or we'll get mom to take you to school today. And then we'll look for it when I get home. But instead, I was feeling the pressure of the stuff that we were going to be facing in that meeting that day. And I kind of unloaded on him. And I was not gentle. I gave him a stern reaming out as a father. You know, this is what happens when you do it. And I told you not to, blah, blah, blah. And I could see his little lip quiver. And he was trying to be a, a man, as a, a however old he was. He was a very young boy. But I could tell I had hurt his feelings big time. He looked so hurt. So he went off to his room to get ready for school. And then I drove off to my meeting. And it was a grueling meeting because I was on a committee at the state level of our denomination at the time. And we were facing a very tricky and difficult issue that we had to work through. So we worked for a couple of hours before lunch. And then we had lunch together. And then we worked for a couple of more hours after that. So the total time at that office was about six hours. And then I had to drive 90 minutes all the way back. And it wasn't until I started to see the driveway that I remembered what my son looked like the last time I was in that driveway. It was as I was reaming him out and he was just about ready to cry. And then I started to reach into the back seat to get my, oh my goodness. And I realized I'd left my briefcase back in Southfield at that office. Cause I had my notebook out in front of me and I tucked the briefcase behind my chair to get it out of the way. So I wouldn't kick it. And I just got up from the meeting and took off with my notebook 90 minutes away. And to top it off, my paycheck was in that briefcase. (laughs) And it was just one of those. So I walked into the house and my wife said, I understand that you had a difficult time with your son this morning or something like that. Yeah. 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 So then I get a phone call. And she was watching my face and realized something was up. And she heard my part of the conversation. I was talking to the secretary back at the office in Southfield. And I was trying to find out if anybody was going to be heading toward my direction at all. And if they were, could they bring my briefcase and could I meet them somewhere? Turns out we worked it out that somebody was coming from the office and we would meet halfway, which was still another 45 minute drive from where we were. And I had to get the family together to go with me in the car 45 minutes just so I could get my my briefcase back. And then we were going to be able to go to a restaurant and have supper, but that meant supper was going to be late. So it was just a mess, and I caused it. So what happened was my son, when I told him what had happened, my son, instead of reaming me out and saying, Dad, how could you do such a thing? He walked over to me, wrapped me up in a hug. And he goes, oh, that's okay, dad. We all forget stuff once in a while.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you felt about this big. Yep. Yeah.
0: Uh, So that was one of those times when I learned that we find the need for gentleness in our own mistakes. And mine became huge that day. And the, the next Sunday when I preached, I used that story that we've talked about before about the guy who was forgiven a huge amount but then he refused to forgive somebody else that owed him just a pittance. And I told my son, did you get what that story meant? And he said, well, I think so. And I said, well, I'm the guy that was forgiven a lot. And I was the one who wasn't willing to forgive somebody else something that was really small. And I'm really sorry for that. And I'm asking for your forgiveness. Would you forgive your old dad for being mean to you when you forgot that key? And he did. It was all good. But I I recognize that gentleness goes into play with all these other character qualities which is why it's called the fruit singular of the spirit because it's a collective bunch of character qualities jesus qualities that are all mashed together and uh so i realized that there was forgiveness involved there was kindness gentleness they all lumped together into the way i should have responded to him and that i need to keep practicing so that i have it ready yeah and
1: and he had it together and and responded to you with those character qualities and uh, created a bigger lesson for you, probably, than your lesson for him. Yep. Because we're talking about it now, some 30-something mm-hmm. years later.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah, sure enough. It was a big lesson.
1: And, and interesting how those things are somewhat coincidental. When you need the lesson, you got it in two different ways yeah (laughs) and it was a lesson for you probably more so than for him
0: yeah it was it really was indeed i honestly if i were to ask him today because he's like 33 soon to be 34 i don't know if he would remember that incident or not it may have been traumatic enough for him that he would have still remembered it but he was so young that it's possible he would have no memory of it but because i was so stricken with how i had treated him And recognizing that I felt exactly the way he felt the moment I reached back for that briefcase, I thought I should not have made him feel that way. I was the adult, and I had the ability to extend grace and gentleness and forgiveness to the guy, and I didn't do that. So it was indelible for me.
1: And It seems like as humans, we tend to react that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, as I was looking through some of the things we were preparing, one of the things that struck me was something you just preached about, which was the Sons of Thunder, James mm-hmm. and John. And perhaps their personalities were less than gentle, and that's why they got that nickname. I think you made reference to that this weekend. There was a character arc where they learned some things through their association with Jesus. That took some of that thunder away and uh, made a difference in who they were as men.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And they had a huge character arc. It was unbelievable how different they were after three years of walking with Jesus. And I've noticed in myself that I always want people to treat me with gentleness. (laughs) I want to be on the receiving end of that. I want to be forgiven and I want to be given grace but it's really difficult for me to be the one that's offering that gentleness when I feel like I've been slighted in some way, when somehow somebody's treating me unjustly. And I thought, these are some questions that come into my mind. How do I react when somebody disagrees with me? Am I patient? Am I kind? Do I display goodness and gentleness? And do I wait to find out what they meant by that so that I can respond graciously? Or do I immediately launch into some sort of a mode where I'm angry and, you know, just uh, coming at them.
1: And I find in my case, it's not necessarily somebody else, but myself. I get frustrated and that frustration often will manifest in a way that isn't gentle. And those around me are, you know, victimized by my frustration and anger that comes that follows that. And they certainly didn't deserve the. The reaction i had it's sometimes hard for those people to be around me when i get it that way and so it's good for me to be reminded that when i see that developing when that frustration starts to build and my blood pressure starts to rise mm-hmm. that i need to take a step back and put on that gentleness you know in, in some cases you know, if I'm, I'm not performing well or whatever it is, and I'm not kind to myself, if I'm not mm-hmm. forgiving myself, then there's uh, not really an opportunity for gentleness to develop in that situation. So you know, we have to see again that, that uh, these character qualities are not in a vacuum, that they do work together. Mm-hmm. And when one of them gets out of shape, often several of them get out of shape. So mm-hmm. Uh, if we can get that one back into uh, you know get it back under control, which we'll talk about next week, then some of those others will start to bloom again and'll react differently in the same situation. yeah, very good point.
0: I was thinking about one of our elder guys at our church. He's a wise guy, wise guy. not he's not a wise guy like in a bad way, but he's he has a lot of wisdom. <laughs> but he told us about a true story when, He was going behind a guy who was going about 10 miles under the speed limit, and he was in a hurry. He was trying to get somewhere to help a group of uh, high schoolers. They were in a robotics uh, competition at another high school, and he was their sponsor. So he needed to get there in time to do that. So he thought, well, I need to see if it's possible for me to pass this guy. So I pulled over just a little bit so I could see what was happening in front of me. And I wasn't going to pass necessarily, but I just wanted to look to see if it was possible for me to do that. And the driver in front of him must have mistaken that as aggression. So then finally this guy pulls over so that I can pass. But then once I did pass, then he started running up on my bumper and flashing his lights and he said, it just turned into this crazy thing. And then we both got pulled over by a cop. (laughs) And he said, and we both wound up getting a ticket for reckless driving. And he said, I was so mad because all I was doing was just trying to see if it was possible for me to safely pass this guy. And he says, and I I got to thinking back about it. And I was gonna, I mean, I wanted to go to court, I wanted to take it to the Supreme Court, you know. "Ah." And then I realized, well, I was probably tailgating him. If I think about how close I must have been before I started to peek out from behind him. And I realized I could understand why he might have thought that I was being aggressive. And so he had to turn that whole incident around and look at himself to become introspective enough to say, I played a part in that and I helped escalate that situation and I didn't have to do that. So sometimes we need to slow ourselves down enough to be patient enough and gentle enough and have enough self-control, which like you say, we'll look at next week to realize that maybe I am partially at fault for what's happening right now. Can I be honest enough with myself? Can I allow the Holy Spirit to reveal truth about what's really happening instead of always blaming somebody else? And that's a tough thing to do because it's so easy to point out that little tiny speck in somebody else's eye when we've got this two by four sticking out of our own eye.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you look at it in that way, sometimes you'll see that you're responsible for all of it. It feels better to be able to blame somebody else, but. Mm-hmm. you know you, often you're just making excuses and placing blame where it doesn't belong yep. and if you are introspective enough you go no that was me yeah Yeah. I, I did all of that I, I caused this and yeah. it's my fault
0: yeah instead of saying the old uh, non-apology apology to say well I'm sorry if anything that I did might have been misperceived by you <laughs> Nah, it doesn't work very well.
1: No, no. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't have reacted that way if you hadn't done this.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the best apology is just to admit, I did this wrong, and I am so sorry. What else can the other person say? It sort of takes the wind out of their sails, and they have no, no other recourse. If you've said, I'm sorry, and I admit that what I did was wrong, that tends to de-escalate better than just about anything.
1: So, Are there other ways that we see gentleness
0: displayed? My wife is good about trying to bring out the gentleness in me by helping me talk through what's causing some unrest in my life. When things are starting to press in on me and I feel like, okay, I'm starting to feel the pressure because I've got a couple of goals that are not being met, and yet I've got an, an interruption over here. I feel like there's a disagreement over there and I'm having a hard time sorting them out and keeping them simple enough in my mind that I can just take each next step calmly. So she'll ask a lot of good questions to bring things to the surface so that I can process what is it that I'm actually really upset about right now. What I'm upset about is this little thing over here that's bothering me in the back of my mind and not the thing that I'm acting out about. And if I can get to the bottom of that, then what I understand is my lack of gentleness over here has much less to do with the actual event happening at that moment. And uh, if I'm feeling too much pressure and I can talk it out and say, well, I'm really upset about that disagreement, then things tend to even themselves out a little bit better. For me anyway, that's some of the stuff that plays itself out in my own real life.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like the stress, the contention, disagreements, all of those things are kind of the, the disruptor of gentleness. Yes. And yeah. uh, if we can get down to the real source, then perhaps we can remain in that gentle state instead of blowing up something that had nothing to do with where the real issue is.
0: Precisely, you you captured. I was having a hard time verbalizing it, but you just did it well. So thanks for that. And then I, I've noticed too, that people who do react with gentleness, and it just seems to be a big part of their nature. They catch so many more flies with honey than they do with vinegar. You know, whatever the expression is, you want to plug in there. Uh, you had mentioned one good example, and I think it came from an older movie. Uh, remind me of what that was about somebody that reacted with gentleness.
1: Are you talking about um, the, the horse whisperer movie? That's it. You know, because, you know, we see, especially here, a lot of people have horses, there are a lot of horse properties, because we're mm. semi-rural. People can take a, a switch of some sort and try to beat the horse into submission, trying to beat a horse into doing the will of the, the owner. But more often than not, they're going to get better results if they mm. take a gentle approach and that was what we saw in the horse whisperer yeah. you know, we took a very low-key approach and was chatting uh, quietly with the animal and there was a trust developing and pretty soon the horse was doing what the trainer wanted mm-hmm. and it was uh, a way that we can see that even though the the trainer could be very autocratic and strong, and essentially beat the horse into submission. It was a much better result if the horse wanted to do, mm. what he wanted him to do.
0: Yeah, I would love to uh, watch that movie again. It was a great movie, and I remember watching it for the first time and feeling like, oh, people can make application to their own lives really easily. <laughs> and you see that one scene where the horse is way out in a field. And is it Robert Redford was the, I think was the I, main, I believe it is. main guy. So yeah. he gets out there and stands in the field for a while. And then he just sits down or gets down on his haunches and he's there and is there for a long time. You can tell by where the sun is that it's been quite a long time that he just waits and he waits and he waits. Finally, the horse has enough curiosity. He's not in any danger. And so the horse wanders over to him. And he whispers his way into earning trust. And I think, man, that to me also represents a God who waits for us too so patiently. We can approach him without feeling that there's any need for fear.
1: I have a a friend of mine here who has some horses, and she posted a Facebook video. And she said, if only my horses reacted this way, there's a horse trailer and a big open field, and you can't see any horses. And the guy wants his horses to get into the trailer. And he whistles a particular whistle. And pretty soon you see this horse come galloping. You couldn't see the horse. All of a sudden he's in the frame. He's come galloping all the way across the field and steps into the trailer and is ready to go. So it's possible that (laughs) you can get the horse to do what you want. And you don't have to be mean to them. You can be gentle with them and they will respond.
0: And uh, oh man, it's hard if we have had poor examples of that in our human experience with other humans, because all humans are fallen. It's difficult for us to separate the bad experiences from our childhood, for example, and say, oh, wait a minute, God is not that human being that I react to. God is very different from that. So I'm grateful that these character traits are all God's traits. All the Perfect traits of Jesus Christ are wrapped up into that, and that's a part of our shift in attitude toward God, I think, is learning to separate the bad experiences between us and human beings and recognizing that God really is great, and he is good, and he is gentle, and he is loving, and he has great self-control. All those things belong to him so that I can allow him to whisper me into his loving embrace without fear of him.
1: Another thing that I saw as an example is, and you made reference to it with your story with, with your son, is when mistakes happen, we can use those as teachable moments mm. instead of a, a point of punishment or a point of rebuke. Mm-hmm. You know, There were times when Christ did rebuke those who were within his sphere of influence, but many times he'd tell parables and he'd illustrate stories and make teachable moments, you know, whether it was because something happened that wasn't good, or somebody had a misconception that he wanted to correct, you know, it it was done in a way that he was always teaching, he always had a purpose for what he was saying, Hmm. because he wanted to develop his disciples into people who could carry on that ministry once he was gone.
0: Yeah, oh, and he was great with a teachable moment, wasn't he? Yeah. He was so good at recognizing this is where I need to just have a little plot twist. And instead of reacting in a way that they might have expected me to react, I'm going to teach them something. And very often it was followed by a parable. He'd tell a story and then they would hang on every word of that story because they found themselves into that story. So that's one of the reasons I love Jesus teaching style and his parable so much.
1: Well, one of the things you brought out this weekend in in your sermon, you were talking about James and John, and they said, shall we call down fire and smite these people because they don't have a place for us to stay? Yep. And he reacted very differently.
0: He did indeed. Yep. Uh, Uh, I wish I would have known how he rebuked them, but we do know that he rebuked them. Uh, Yes,
1: probably in a way that it was a teachable moment. (laughs)
0: Indeed. And then Probably said,
1: something along the lines that the Samaritans are my children too. We're not going to smite them simply because there's a disagreement between those who live here and those who live in Jerusalem.
0: Right. <laughs> yep. Oh, those boys, James and John.
1: Still sons of thunder. Character mm-hmm. arc was yet to be fully developed.
0: Yes, precisely. I'm so grateful that God is patient enough with me that even though I'm still in my character arc, I've got a lot more teachable moments to go yet, but he is faithful to see me through them and to give me many more good lessons that come out of those teachable moments.
1: One of the things that I was pondering this morning, as I was thinking through, you know, as we look at our notes about gentleness and how we're going to uh, talk through them. and One of the things that really came home to me is that God's grace is God's gentleness in action. Mm. And I really like the way that sounded, you know, because he doesn't give us what uh, what we deserve. Right. Know, he is gentle with us. And he is is providing uh, so much, even when we are rebellious children. Yeah. You know, whether that's before conversion or after, uh-huh. you know, and we look at at his perspective towards his children, particularly I, we. We often use the, the passage out of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says, For it is by grace that you are saved through faith, and it is not of yourselves. Mm-hmm. It is the gift of God. It's not by your works so that no one can boast. Mm-hmm. His grace provided everything. All we have to do is have the faith to believe it because it didn't come from us. None of it came from us because we were dead in our sins. He did it all. And provided it and provided the grace so that we would have the opportunity through his, his gentleness, his kindness, his forgiveness of us mm-hmm. to enter into that relationship that he's always wanted. But it's nothing we did. So we can't say, hey, I'm so great. Look at me. I've earned my way to heaven.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> that's so good. I like that. And that's a profound uh, statement that you made, too, that God's grace is God's gentleness in action. That's a very good way to put it. I like that. That helps sum it up. And you're right. Can't do it in our own strength. He did it all for us.
1: Yep. And, and our works uh, don't mean anything. We do works after the fact as part of our service to him and to others. But they don't do anything to affect our salvation in any way. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a reaction to what has already happened and that is the saving faith that we've come to has allowed us to enter into a relationship with him. And as part of uh, our service to him, then we do the works for the church for other people.
0: Good theology. Let me tell you what. I mean,
1: imagine that. We're talking (laughs) about theological subjects around here.
0: (laughs) It's so tough for us as humans to understand the goodness of God. And we can say it over and over again. But because there is that bent towards sin in each of us, we keep trying to, uh, I don't know, we keep trying to impose our humanness onto God rather than allowing him to transform us with his character qualities and to be able to relax into his grace, to understand that we can't make that happen. We can allow him to make it happen in us because he did everything required to have that transformation because of his son on the cross in our place to pay for our sin and then his holy spirit to indwell within each believer to do that transformation over a long period of time day by day man it's a it's a huge huge difference in the way we approach how we're trying to get connected with god
1: some of our fellow theologians are just getting to the point where they're starting to understand that saving faith, and they may need a little a little prompting to help them understand how to appropriate that grace into their own lives
0: Mm and
1: perhaps we can help them do that
0: i think that's always a good choice Uh, i heard a lot of those kinds of appeals the nice invitations at the end of messages when i was a little boy and it takes sometimes many exposures to those kinds of invitations before they start to make sense so That's one of the things that we have committed ourselves to doing is to extend that invitation at the end of every podcast, because we want to make sure that you have enough repeat exposures to those invitations that if the Holy Spirit finally gets to that point when he says, you got it yet? Are you ready? He'll whisper you into his loving embrace. So that's what we hope will happen. And I'll just put that in the form of a prayer. We could call this an, uh, an invitation from God, and then you respond to it with a prayer that would sound something kind of like this. God, I recognize that you are a gentle Savior, that the character qualities that I have reluctantly wanted to see um, are really there in you. And even though it's been easy for me to look at the Old Testament and some of the crazy things that are recorded for us there, um, you're still the same God. And you were patient with Israel, even though there were some things that were crazy that happened, but they brought those things upon themselves because of their behavior. And that's why they experienced some of the things that were difficult. And it's difficult for us in our current modern culture to understand what was going on with some of those occasions. But we see more clearly, and I see now more clearly in the New Testament through Jesus Christ, how loving and how gentle you really are. And for Jesus to have taken my place on the cross, that's huge. So I'm asking you now to forgive me of my sins, to come into my heart and mind, to make your home inside of me so that uh, I'm starting to think more of your thoughts and to behave more like Christ would behave. And I know I can't do it in my own strength. I get that now. And I understand that it's only because of your Holy Spirit at work in that transformation process that any good is going to start coming out of me. But you want that for me because you want the best for me because you love me. And I appreciate that. And I just want to learn how to love you back. And it may take a while, but just like all these other folks in the Bible that we've seen about and heard about, including James and John, I want that character arc to take place in my life too. And so I pray that you will change my life day by day. As I learn to walk with you daily, as I lay my life down, pick up my cross, die to self, and live as a new creation in you, and I'm glad and grateful for the fact that you're going to make me into that new creation. Thank you for that. Thank you for your forgiveness and for the new life that I can have by walking with you. I want to walk along this journey now with other believers who are on the same path, knowing that it's all because of you. You did everything necessary for that to take place. Thank you for that. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. And if anybody did that, they have no idea how many really cool and wonderful things just happened. Yeah, no kidding. It would take a lifetime to experience them all, but it all just started right now, and there is some really good stuff. Yeah. The recreation you talked about, a total rebirth, uh, transforming of their mind, uh, so many things. It's just an amazing thing, and it was appropriated by just a simple recognition yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not perfect. that yeah. You fell short somewhere and uh, now it's all gone. Yeah. You know, what all, a, all of that's forgiven. It's so simple. And yet sometimes we make it so hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But it's so good when you feel that the weight of that burden of sin lift off and you just feel like you can walk a foot above the ground. And uh, I remember that very first time that I said that prayer and I'll never forget it, even though I was young. And you're right, if, a, if there's a fellow theologian who has just said that, you'll know what we're talking about. And we're hopeful that you will share that experience with somebody that you know would be happy about it. We'd love to hear about it if you're willing to share it with us, too. And you can contact us and let us know what's been happening. And you can send something to us through email at Monday Afternoon Theologians at gmail.com. Or you can go on to our website which is dot P-O-D-I-A dot com. And there's a place at the bottom of every page. You can scroll down and give us your email address so that we can keep you apprised of things happening. And that's one way you can get in touch with us as well. But tell somebody that you know would be so pleased that you have made that decision if you have made that decision. And we hope that you will someday if you haven't already, because there's no life like the life lived walking with jesus
1: absolutely and we're hopeful that some of the materials that we're presenting some of the concepts that we talk about will uh, empower some of our other theologians to share their faith more regularly Mm -hmm. Uh, we'll have more on that and some things that are in the works coming up as well so
0: yes and like rick and i've said often we're not yet what we're going to be but gratefully we are not nearly what we used to be. <laughs>
1: Thank God for that.
0: <laughs> always in process. Walking always, with the Lord.
1: Always. Yeah. That's why I say we take up our cross daily. Because because yes. it's a daily walk. It's mm-hmm. not once and done.
0: Yep. And part of this discipleship process, if you want to use that biblical term, as we're helping each other edify one another as Paul talks about a lot, especially in Romans It means that we're walking arm in arm with fellow believers. And so we encourage one another along that path, knowing that all of us are going to continue to stumble here and there. And so we pick each other up, we help each other through it, and we move forward. And we can do that knowing that God always wants the best for us, and he's continuing to help us along that journey and to keep forgiving again and again and again. That's a great thing to know that we're not in this
1: thing alone. That's for sure, because we have him, we have his son, we have the spirit living within us. Yeah. We have our fellow believers who are, as you say, walking side by side and enjoying the journey together. Yep. It's a way better life than what I envisioned mine would be had I not made that decision at the age of 17.
0: Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> and we do hope, fellow theologians, that you will tune in again for another episode of Monday, Monday afternoon, afternoon.
1: theologians, theologians. 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 theologians.